0: We are in chapter two. That's right. We had one response, and that's right. It is entitled Bible Interpretation. Woo! Look at that. I tell you what, that's getting worse as I get older. But anyway, that's right. We've been seeing Bible interpretation. Hey, what does it mean to you? Who cares, Oz? Even though thanks for asking that. That's not the question when you get into the Bible. It's what does the Bible say? And boy, isn't that the problem today? People enter Well, I think what? It, who? Hey, I want to know what God says. Right. Okay, but that's unfortunately not what people are doing. And so we say, well, why is it important? Uh, because uh, you get it wrong, again, in the opening prayer, you're gonna give birth to sin, you're gonna condone sin, you're gonna give in error, which means you're gonna believe a false teaching, and if you propagate it, you become a false teacher. I'd say that's some serious things, uh, as we can see there. Now, then we saw about the review, the interpretive process. How do you get into the Bible? Uh, again, Ruth, great question. Read repeatedly. What's that? Read repeatedly. You know what's coming next. Read repeatedly, okay, is what you need to do. Ask preliminary questions, outline the book, the paragraphs, the main theme, and then last time, what do you do with the evidence? Well, it's the spirit of dragnet comes all over you because you just don't mess with it, don't tamper it, you just deal with the facts, okay? And if you're gonna do that, it involves two important things, and this is where we were at last time. Number one, you need to define, okay, need to define important terms, and where we left off last time, you need to pay attention to what? Rhymes with context. Context, Jim, is the answer here on the ball. Uh, just as we've seen many times before in real estate, what's the most important thing? Location, location, location. When it comes to interpreting the Bible, what's important? Context, context, context means everything. Top of the page 29 says number two. Let's pick up right there. Observing the context is the blank there of the surrounding verses, the chapter, the book, and the Bible as a whole. Now, why is it important to observe uh, the whole, not just the paragraph, uh, not just the book itself in the Bible, but the whole Bible? Bingo, out of context, Ron, you've been reading the notes, that's right. Uh, Because the basic Bible interpretation rule is the scripture does not contradict scripture. If you think you got the right answer and yet it contradicts the uh, other passages of known scripture, it's wrong. God doesn't lie like man. He is holy, okay, as we saw on Sunday in our new study, okay? Now, what did the writer discuss before this passage and what does he discuss after it? And we gave the example once again of Romans chapter 12, therefore, if you see therefore, you ask the question, what is it therefore? Now, here's what it is. Much error and poor results from Bible study could be prevented if only we would pay closer attention to the context too often we try to determine the interpretation of a certain verse or a few verses by simply looking at those verses in an isolated fashion in bible college we would call those pulling a one verse charlie where that came from i'm not really sure but that's what we called it okay in an isolated fashion you don't want to do that how many false teachers would flourish during a day if the body of christ as a whole understood this simple interpretive rule Let me give you two quick examples. Number one, just verbalize it because we've been there many times before. James chapter four. How many times have I shared that example with you guys? Remember that? Where it says there, and the Bible really says this, you have not because you ask not, right? And we've seen that the word of faith teachers, the false teachers, claim that piece of a verse and yet they ignore the whole context of that verse. First of all, the context is the people, the church are fighting each other, uh, quarrels and fighting, okay? And that's because they want something, but they don't get it. And then, then he says, you have not because you ask not. But keep reading. Then the following context says the reason why you don't get it is because you want to spend it on your own selfish desires. Completely wrenching it out of its context. But let me give you a new one. Turn to your Bibles to Matthew 27. And we're going to read. That's right. An actual Bible passage. Isn't that a neat concept in a Bible study? That's right. Matthew 27, uh, verse 5. Okay, This really does appear, folks, in the Bible. Okay? This is really important. Matthew 27, verse 5, when you get there, say moo. You're really there? Or you just like saying that. You guys are fast. Woo! Matthew 27, verse 5 says this. Here it is, right here in the Bible. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left, and then he went away and hanged himself. There it is. Whatever you do, do not support the things of God. Do not uh, use your finances to support God's kingdom. Don't go near his temple. Don't go to a church sanctuary. Don't do none of that stuff, because it will lead immediately to thoughts of th- uh, suicide. It says it right there. Why do you look at me like that? Because it's out of context. That's right, it's out of context. You guys are students. What? Now, now, of course, I'm being facetious, but that's what happens repeatedly over and over again. People will sit there and take a verse and wrench it completely out of its context and make up a whole false teaching and false doctrine out of it. That has nothing to do with that. Why did Judas go and hang himself? Which, by the way, does the Bible condone. No, the Bible says do not murder. Suicide is self murder Okay, so if you were to say, even if you were to read this in the context and still say that's something good to do because it says Judas went out and hung himself and he was an apostle, so we must do it too. No, now you're contradicting the rest of the Bible that says don't do that. So that can't be right. But in the immediate context, we see the reason why, which the Bible does not condone, was because he betrayed Jesus Christ. Okay, and the money that he was chucking back in the temple had nothing to do with supporting the kingdom of God or your local church body. Okay, it had to do with the money that he sold out uh, jesus for 30 pieces of silver the common price i believe of a slave okay but that's what that's what you see and that's why like he says how many false teachers would flourish in our day if the body of christ as a whole understood this simple interpretive rule check your bible go back to it read the context don't take anything at face value the reason why we start our study by repeatedly reading through a book is to start to get a handle on the overall message or the context of the book the better we understand the overall context of the book the chances of our coming up with an aberrant interpretation diminish our interpretation must always hold up in light of the immediate context the context surrounding the passages the context of the book the context of the Testament and uh, Bible as a whole before coming to your final interpretive conclusions chew on the text okay chew on the text and the context uh, and ask yourself this question does the interpretation fit the context no, then what do you do? Dump it, get rid of it. It's the wrong interpretation. Well, that's not very nice. You mean to tell me that I, you just, t- I don't like somebody tell me I'm wrong. Well, too bad. Again, what's the premise? I don't care, if, by all due respect, what you think of the Bible. And in, honestly, guys, you really shouldn't be thinking of, uh, of, of my uh, uh, added, uh, interpretation of the Bible. What you need to be asking is to make sure that if it is even in my direction, is Pastor Billy rightly interpreting the bible right that's the question you should be asking not what you think not what i think what does it say okay but if you're going to get the accurate one you have to pay attention to the context we're cruising now tom the spirit of Blavicus is cruising in high gear uh, number three probing cultural okay you're blank there cultural differences okay was this a cultural practice and what did it mean in that culture that's right uh webster defines culture as the total pattern of human behavior. That includes thought, speech, action, and artifacts, and as the customary beliefs, social reforms, and material traits of racial, religious, or social groups. Man, could that guy talk. Uh, Thus, culture uh, includes what people think and believe and say and do and make. Okay, and Zuck, he wrote, he gives examples of this. Now, we've already seen the example that I gave before in this study about the whole issue that the Bible talks about, ladies with your hair, don't put it down. Okay, and you see, we actually see some people, some certain a Sex or the de- dominant denomination of Christianity that would say that the ladies not only cannot wear makeup But you have to have your hair up in a bun you have to have it covered, right? Okay Well, th- if you want to that's fine. Okay, and if you want to wear makeup, that's fine uh, I didn't say it. I've said it before Ver and McGee did and I'll quote him on this because I didn't say this He said if a barn needs paint paint it, you know common sense. He says but the <laughs> That's why I quoted it from him. Okay, I'm not kidding You make all right Okay, just common sense. Okay, Now, when you come to a church service, he's, the, the, the word there, cosmeo, where we get cosmetics, when he's talking about women's dress and apparel, he says, this, you're not coming here for a show. You're not coming here to draw attention to you. And you certainly don't want to be a distraction to somebody else. Okay, But that doesn't mean you can't wear makeup. But if you're getting all gaudy and trying to, you know, whatever, you might want to pray about that. But certainly about your dress is a common sense thing. And that's what he's talking about with the whole hair thing. Because back in the cultural day, when the woman's hair was down, she was saying she was available. Okay, and it was a- actually kind of scandalous to even go in that community even, uh, like that uh, because basically to give a modern day vernacular because you want to understand the culture, why? So that you could bring it to uh, that which is applicable today. If a lady showed up today wearing a bikini in Sunday morning, church service, would that be a distraction? That's what he and believe it or not, as weird as it sounds to you and I, even though we're 2000 years removed with a lady coming in with her hair down like that, that's what it did, right? Makes no sense to us, but when you understand the proper cultural context, then you could rightly bring that passage into today to something that is very applicable. The Bible, even though it was written 2,000 plus years ago, that's just the New Testament, then you got the Old Testament, is applicable to everything today. You know, people say, well, that was just back then. No, no, I don't think so. And he gives a couple more examples. Why did Boaz go to the city gate to talk to the town elders about Naomi's land? Well, that's just where they hung out. That's, it was right next door to the 7-Eleven. They always got Slurpees. It was a guy thing. You know. <laughs> yeah, you know. Why, what was the significance of the gate? Well, that's what they did, as he says, they're all their business. okay. And if you don't understand, man, I can't, I'm, still, I'm still working on Sparky the Turtle and TV Guide, so pardon my artwork. <laughs> because, and you have the gates, man. You have these big, huge gates, right? You can get your walls up here and all this neat stuff. Look at that. Look at that. These aren't awesome. Looks like a i don't know what it is anyway but inside here you come through the big gate right and if you okay but inside there would be these niches okay in these huge gates sometimes double triple stories and these would be like little shops little centers and this is just in the gate as you enter into the city now it was in here where they did their business this is where they did their legal stuff and things of that nature okay so that's why he's going to that oh well that makes sense instead he just goes to the gate right it adds a little bit to that okay uh what is meant by the command gird up your loins it's there in the Bible. That's right, Tom. You've got to gird up your loins. Now, that could be embarrassing if you used to take it in the wrong fashion, whatever. But again, that's why you need to pay attention because back in the day, loins isn't taken like the way we take it. Okay, and, uh, but uh, you know, it, uh, let me give you another example. Modern, how many of you guys remember the Flintstones? Huh? Remember that? That's back when life was good. No, no, it's good. But uh, but anyway, they'd have that song. Remember the theme song, and they're going to have a gay old time. Probably don't want to be too um, that, you know too often like that, uh, because what has that? Unfortunately, the term which meant a good old time. What what does it now imply? Something wrong, right? So that's how quick. Uh, and that's just what, thirty years, forty years. Okay, that word has changed radically. Well, you got the New Testament here again, two thousand years ago. Okay, and then some of the Bible translations to so gird up the loins. You know, King James, 500 years ago, some of the words going to change. So you have to go back in there, and you have to understand what they're talking about. And here's what he says, uh, and that's in 1 Peter 1:13. When a man ran, worked, or was in battle, he would tuck in his robe under a wide. What is? You telling me that people wherever they went were were in the choir, and, and they wore robes wherever they went, and you know they were singing the. Wow, spiritual the early church. No, wrong wrong, wrong uh, interpretation there. No, that's what they wore back then in those days. We don't wear them today. You know, the old kind of toga-looking thing, the over, overcoat-looking, that's what they did, right? So if you can imagine walking around today with a, hey, give it up for those choir things we saw in the musical. You guys get those things? Those things are spark a you know what I'm saying? Look We got to get some light action on there. We got to do something with those. This is Vegas, baby. Those are cool. But anyway, that's right. Uh, <laughs> I digress. <laughs> But if you walked around, and that was your garb, you had a big, giant, long overflowing, uh, and somebody says, hey, somebody's ripping off your car in the parking lot. you get about five steps, and what, <laughs> right? You'd be tripping over the thing, you, so what'd you have to do? You would have to cinch that baby up, right? Tie it, do something, whatever, to get your legs free, and then you could take out, right? Well, that's what he's talking about there. He's basically saying, well, there's a whole other problem with that, people wearing baggy pants today, those guys get chased, pants on the ground, pants, What's that, how's that song go, <laughs> whatever, right? Hey, same thing with them, they're hot, they're, what are they gonna have to do? They're gonna have to finally, believe it or not, hey, maybe that's what we could do. We can go down every time you see one and say, hey, your car's getting ripped off, just to make them pull it up. No, I'm just kidding, that wouldn't be a sign. Okay, but, <laughs> but anyway, uh, uh, that you'd have to pull it up so you wouldn't trip over it. And that's what he's saying, gird up the loins of your what? The context is of your mind. So he's basically saying, uh, uh, pull it up, get ready for action. Be alert. Be ready. Okay? And that's what he's talking about in the context there is uh, spiritual uh, warfare he's talking about with your mind. Number four, at the top of page 30, discerning figurative language. Discerning figurative language in the passage. Is there comparative language and are there overstatements? A figure of speech is a word or phrase that is used to communicate something other than your next two blanks there other than natural meaning, okay? Again, Zuck gives us some helpful rules in determining if a word or phrase is figurative or not. They include, it's not on here, but again, I'm gonna say this because I'm telling you folks, we make this much more difficult uh, than it is, okay? We act like getting into the Bible is some hard thing. We're never gonna get it. No, again, it's just taking a lot of common sense, okay? Just common sense, okay, okay? Is what's going on there number one he says always take a passage in its literal sense unless there is good reason for doing otherwise so what's the rule we make it up as we go first only then if unless it's no you take it literally unless it demands obviously there's some figurative language going on Jesus says I am the door so obviously he really is a door no common sense says what obviously we're, we're being figurative right man i tell you what ron he's as tough as nails hey but just don't hug him because those nails poke at you and you'll start bleeding you'll go to the hospital It's what... no what does that mean it's figurative language comments we use it all the time the Bible uses it. Why? Because when we were talking about this Lord on Sunday, the Bible's process of interpretation wasn't some, mm, they had no control over it. They used their will. God used their writing style and their personalities, which means the common rules of language, including figurative language, but the Holy Spirit was the one that was guiding the process. Normal communication, just like we use today, it's in the Bible as well. For example, he says, when John wrote that the 144,000 will be sealed, Jewish evangelists in the last days, in seven-year tribulation, with 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, what he was really talking about was the latest figures on the Dow Jones report, right? And if you break it down into 12 sections, that's the secret mathematical formula for always coming out top on the stock market. No. It's, it's common sense, okay? It's 12 tribes of Israel. There's no reason not to take those uh, uh, in their normal literal sense, right? That's not like saying Jesus was the door or he was the gate okay uh, It's or Ron is tough as nails okay that's common sense no that's obviously figurative language no this is why not take that literally why do you have to speak? and that's what it is okay the term is called spiritualizing the text Who, how do you like that one okay spiritualizing the text okay it's basically making it up you know uh, as we saw before you don't want to do that and yet the following verse John referred to Jesus as the lamb now is that a literal lamb or is that symbolic of the old testament sacrificial lamb okay and how did you discern that because i went to seminary for 900 years (laughs) i could never figure that out unless i spent eighteen thousand dollars no okay common sense told you that doesn't it it's the same thing according to the bible number two the figurative sense uh, is intended if the literal would involve an impossibility. For instance, the Lord told Jeremiah that he made him, quote, an iron pillar and a bronze wall. (gasps) Tom, never stare directly into the eyes of God. It's like Medusa. It says it right there. Iron pillar, bronze wall. Don't do it. Common sense. You didn't have to spend that $19,000. You didn't have to go to seminary, let alone Bible college to figure that out. It's common sense, right? It's figurative language, okay? And John wrote that Jesus held seven stars in his right hand. If only, if only we knew what the seven stars meant, our lives could be complete. Well, good answer. Uh, here's another rule. Keep reading. In fact, I'll write that on there. Keep reading. Even if it's figurative, nine times out of ten, the Bible defines it for you, especially when it comes to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation has 350 to 400 direct citations or allusions to the Old Testament. So if you want to understand what he's talking about, you just go back to the Old Testament where it occurs, bring it into its context. And then if it's not even defined that way, you just keep reading. Like, open, uh, Revelation chapter one, turn there. Revelation. And this is that great book that says, tortured are you who reads the words of this prophecy, and who takes them to heart, and he studies them, and yeah, it says blessed, uh, Makaria, spiritually prosperous, uh, if we would do that. Revelation chapter one, and uh, let's take a look at verse 12 through 20 to grab the context of our study. Uh, Revelation chapter one, it uh, says this, and I taught, J- Apostle John speaking, he said, and I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lamps, <laughs> we knew what those were too. Well, thanks for asking. I think we're going to get to it. And, uh, uh, and among the lambson was someone like the Son of Man. Gee, I wonder who that is. Uh, Jesus, okay. Uh, and uh, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. Notice that the ascended Jesus is a whole lot different than his first coming. And when he comes back at his second coming, he's not going to be the meek and mild lamb sacrificial lamb dying for the sins of our world he's coming back to judge this planet okay and it's going to be torn up okay why because he is the king of kings he is the lord of lords Uh, chapter 4 chapter 5 tells us he's got the title deed to the earth it's his and he's coming back to set up his kingdom, okay? But he says, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. (laughs) There it is. And out of the mouth came sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the shining sun, shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I what? Oh, I was in the presence of God and I just felt goosebumps on top of my goosebumps, on top of my goosebumps. And I started to talk with this Australian accent and it had to be from God. No. Hey, when you encounter the actual presence of God biblically, what are people doing? Translate that? They're sucking carpet. <laughs> on their face, before God. Whoa. Not this going backwards stuff and all that. We have dealt with that in the final countdown. Uh-uh. Okay. And that's what I feel. I feel as, feet, as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. Praise God. Uh, And I hold the keys of death and Hades, of the grave. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. later. Listen, here it is. (laughs) Holy, I knew. I got it. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. What's it say? The seven stars are the angels, angelos, literally messengers. The word there can mean angels or just simply a messenger. Angels are messengers of God. okay. Uh, eight messengers of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are seven churches. Go to sleep. Case closed. No need to you know get all spiritualizing and say, well, really the seven stars represents the universe. No, keep reading. If it's not defined immediately by the context, just keep reading. Okay, but if you just keep pulling stuff out one verse at a time out of its context, you're gonna get everything messed up. And you wonder why there's so many different denominations? You wonder why there's so, many, so much false teaching? It's back to this topic. Rightly interpret uh, the Bible. Okay, let's continue on. Number three, oh, here's another one. He says this, and that uh, John wrote that Jesus held seven stars to his hand. The Lord does not have wings, Psalm 57, right? Now, that's an important thing. I remember I had some Mormons coming over witnessing because they believe that uh, 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 we can become gods and that God was a man just like us who became a god, and so that's their great promise, whatever, amongst other false teachings a plethora and so they always want to take it it's called anthropomorphisms where you're basically taking attributes to try to describe God using hum, human terms but he's obviously not human like us God is spirit the scripture says John chapter 4 okay and uh, he did come and took on flesh as God the son okay etc cetera, etc cetera. but he's not like us he's not like a man but he's trying to use our terminology to help us to understand who he is Okay, and he's talking about his protective care. Psalm 91, I think, also says that he likes to gather uh, us under his wings. Okay, so does that mean that God's a giant bird in the sky? and what? No, okay, and that's what, but again, you, you, might, you think, might, might think that's small, but again, I just gave you one example of false teachers who will come knocking at your door, wrenching a verse out of context, and say, oh, see, just like us. No, and what they one that they quoted to me was, and the finger of God... It says right here in the Old Testament, wrote the Ten Commandments. It says it right there, the finger of God. I don't know about you, but man, when I was there, that thing was at least 827 feet long, because it's God, and he's big. Okay, and it scared me. At first, I thought it was a spaceship coming through the sky. But then I saw about the first 50 feet of it with his fingernail. And no, he's just talking about who, who wrote the thing. We're not expecting an actual finger to come out of the sky, okay? But again, the false teachers will will take that and run with it, unfortunately. Number three, figurative is intended if the literal meaning is an absurdity, as in the trees clapping their hands. How many guys would say that it's gonna be a rough day when you wake up, you go out in the car, and your trees are are going, hey, woohoo! see you when you get home. How many guys would say it's time to go back to bed? You know what I'm saying? Right? I kid you not, I had a lady back in Northern California that fought me on that. And I'm saying, no, it's just figurative language. No, it says right there, they're clapping their hands. I don't know how God's going to do it, but he's going to have them clap their hands. Are you kidding me? Just don't tell anybody you're a Christian. <laughs> what are you, what? They're clapping their hands. So what, what, what does common sense tell you? All of creation. Well, what is creation for? What do we, why did God create us? To glorify him, to worship him okay, all of creation, okay, but he's not literally going to be clapping their hands, okay? Uh, and uh, I, I gave the example, I think last week, if you were here, I said, how many guys are married to uh, morning people, right? And you're, you're, you're an evening person. How many guys are morning people? And I gave the example, that's me, Brandy's not. I'm going to get in the morning, I actually said this, and I better clarify because I don't want you guys to interpret it wrong, that when I get up, I do the happy elf dance. Remember that? So that's exactly what I do, I get these little shoes on with these curly things, woo! Get that hat on with a little dealer buffer, and I come to work, and Kenny lays hands on me. No, it's just figurative language, right? It means I'm joyful, yay! As everybody in the morning should be right, people, of the morning, unite. All two of you, one, praise God you're here, we're on three. It's just a little bit before. Yeah, so I I honestly, I really do love the morning because it's quiet in the house, have great time with God, the kids are asleep, even the dogs are asleep, okay? And it's just a great time to start your day off uh, with the Lord. I'm not saying that to be super spiritual. Well, our pastor is (laughs) great. No, I'm just, no, seriously, that's what I think it is to me most profitable. But I've learned that some people, that just ain't your time. I still think maybe you should invest your day with the Lord, at least to a certain degree, but if you're really looking for an ex- extended quality of time and morning ain't your time, how's that for correct grammar, uh, then uh, maybe uh, try some other time when you're fresh. Okay, let's continue on. Uh, now, number four, take the figurative sense if the literal would demand immoral action. Okay, since it would be cannibalistic to eat the flesh of Jesus and drink his blood, obviously he was speaking what? And yet, did you know that there's people that still teach that today? No, it's the literal blood and the literal body of Jesus. And unless you take it in our way, you're doomed to hell. Who teaches that? Catholic Church. What? And, and because of that kind of heresy, did you know that this was one of the major things that the early church was persecuted and killed for? Because the Romans looked at this, and they're talking about, they're in there eating his blood, and uh, eating his body, and drinking his blood. These, and they actually thought that Christians were cannibals doing something freaky and started this room around people (gasps) and it was part of the propaganda to eventually start killing christians all because didn't use common sense and the figurative understanding the figurative language number five note whether a figurative expression is followed by an explanatory literal statement those who fall asleep first thessalonians 4 13 through 15 are then spoken of as those who have died okay not taking a big nap okay Whatever you do, don't ever fall asleep during church services. You might miss the rapture. That's a good technique. I should try that on Sundays. You know what I'm saying, Tom? Let's, let's record this. I'll get that on video. Woo! No, let me give you one of the example. John chapter 11. Turn there quickly, please. John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verses 11 through 14. Of course, this is the account of Lazarus. That's not the only account we're well, obviously, they're using figurative language. And what I like about this passage is Jesus clearly defines it for us. Okay, John chapter 11. And uh, verse 11. After this, he had said this, he went on to tell him, our friend Lazarus, his what? he's falling asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Now his disciples were like, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. And Jesus had been speaking of his what? His death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told him plainly, hey, listen, Lazarus is what? He's dead, okay? for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us now, uh, let's go uh, to him as he says there. Now, uh, so, so obviously, even when you're looking at terms like that, uh, it did say asleep, but was he talking a literal sleep? No, okay? It was a euphemism for he has uh, and they have uh, died or gone on before us, okay? Now, um, he immediately explained that there were, tr- uh, Paul, here's another example. He did not say when he wrote to the Ephesians, we're dead, Okay, it says there, you were dead. Now, if you stop right there, isn't that the freakiest thing you ever heard of? The Apostle Paul actually wrote a whole letter to dead people. That's got to be the ultimate sign of a positive attitude to think that somebody in that church is actually gonna read your word. That's a man of faith because they were dead. Yeah, and if you keep reading, he says they were dead in their transgressions and sins. So obviously, common sense, here's what comes into play. When we see that, is that literal? No, he's talking spiritually. You were dead in your transgressions or sins. And again, now, is that really hard? I, I keep bringing this up, and I'm using humor to make a point, okay? Uh, but uh, do you see how oftentimes we'll approach the Bible, and oh, this guy's just too hard. No, it's not, just... Common sense. We use the same figurative language, words of speech, and things uh, even when we talk to each other today. It's not that difficult. Uh, number six, sometimes a figure is marked by a qualifying adjective, as in Heavenly Father. Okay? The true bread. The living stone. Now, that's a double freaky day. First of all, you get up, you get out of your house, the trees are clapping, saying, Hey, she went you get home. And then the rocks start saying, Hey, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive. How I many guys say. Uh, just do something. Come to church services, let's lay hands on you, but you're not expecting that. Obviously, again, it's what? It demands. It's figurative, okay? Uh, And uh, sometimes a prepositional phrase hints that the preceding noun is not to be understood literally, as in the words, the sword of the Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit shows up in the congregation, we know that his presence is here. When we see, just like in the Garden of Eden, that banned them from ever going back in, there's a giant sword that appears on the pulpit. And at that point, we all know it is time to praise God because we see the sword of the Spirit. And if you think I'm crazy, it wouldn't surprise me somebody would come up with that teaching. Okay, no. What's he talking about there? One, obviously in the context, he's talking about the Bible, okay? But it's to be understood figuratively, not literally, okay? Another example, to fight the good fight of the faith. So that's right, if you're going to be a good on fire Christian, you get out there and beat people up for Jesus, of course. Knock them out, especially when they cut you off on the freeway, man. I'm going to fight the good fight. That's what our flesh wants to say. That's bad interpretation. No, fight the good fight Uh, with Jesus. Run hard, be a soldier for him, okay? These helpful rules should help us answer our questions about figurative language, okay? Now, how do we wrap it all up? Well, Tom, thanks for asking. It was Christmas, after all wrapping it all up that's right uh the text does not yield the answers to your questions if it doesn't look in some good reference works we talked about this bible dictionaries bible handbooks bible atlases bible concordances or the phone book now that i have your attention no bible commentaries okay notice the keyword bible on every one of those okay a list of good resources is provided at the end of this lesson look in the commentaries as a underline this please last resort last resort i got a lot of commentaries lots and i did get it unpacked too i'm just satisfied for life right now no uh uh, i got lots of them but can i tell you honestly how often i ever go to them i'm not saying this to toot my horn rarely okay because one thing i had it drilled in my head in seminary okay was they are a last resort don't get into your study time that it's your first resort why i'm not saying that they're wrong But the whole point is you need to become a student of God's word and have the confidence that with common sense and with proper biblical interpretation rules, which is common sense with the normal rules that we use speaking today amongst each other, that you can get in there and rightly discern the word of God. If you come across a particular passage that maybe you're looking for a little bit more meat or even after going to these other resources, you're still not getting really the flavor that you feel, then go to a commentary. Okay? Because you need to get in there and discern it Uh, For uh, your own self. Okay, you're capable of doing the study yourself and coming to conclusions. As you do, you will experience the thrill of discovery, not the agony of defeat. How many guys remember that thing? Remember that guy? How many guys told yourself every time you remember about that, uh, you say, I'm going to go on Google and find out who that guy was? How many guys are going to do it tonight? (laughs) Yeah, I put that in your head, didn't I? Uh, uh, And as hard work of the illumination of the Holy Spirit produce the spiritual gold nuggets of the word answer the interpretive questions that you uh, can and record your answers in a notebook now to conclude the interpretive process review is your next blank there review the context along with all your observations okay write down what the author saying in a short paragraph and in your own words now how does it change your life i could spend a whole time on this but the spirit of blabacus is all over me tom i got pressure oh okay, is this, here's the whole point, man, to what we've been studying for four weeks, this makes number five, who's counting? I am, okay, application, this is what, it's just like, this is what bugs me, I said this before, I'm not big on trivial games, Bibleopoly and all that kind of stuff, not against them, not saying they're all the devil, okay, it's just, is that really why we're studying the Bible, just so I can amaze my friends with some popcorn knowledge that I know how to quote every, no, and we we've it's a Christian axiom, right? The little Christianese phrase: "I people would rather see a Bible than just they want to see it." I want to see that you love Jesus, not just say that he's real. I want to see that he's real in you, right? And that comes from you go through all this process. And if you just kept it in your head, what what a waste of time! It's supposed to be in our heart, and that's what he's talking about. Application involves drawing life principles these your next two blanks there, life principles out of the word of God and applying them to your life. The Bible was not written to satisfy your curiosity or win on Jeopardy, but now they have a new game show out, huh? Have you guys seen that one, that Bible thing, the Bible quiz show? Have you seen it with that Jeff Foxworthy guy, Bible, what's it called? American Bible Challenge. We're gonna get on there and whoa! Now, I'm not against that if you want to, okay? But if you... If you don't get very many of them right, just don't say you're from Sunrise Baptist Church. Okay, but anyway, that's right. (laughs) It's not there to satisfy your curiosity, okay, or win on a game show. It's written to transform your life. Here's your blank there, transform. The ultimate goal of Bible study then is not to do something to the Bible, but to allow the Bible to do something to you so truth becomes tangent to life. At this point, it becomes life transforming as you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. As Zuck puts it, we must have a listen, responsive heart why are you going through all this if you're not going to respond? What's, what's the use of coming every single Sunday if you're not going to respond? What's the use of being here tonight if you're not going to respond? Why are you here if you're not going to respond? Why do you crack and open in the mornings? Okay, before the trees start clapping and the rocks start doing their thing. Well, if you're not willing to respond. What a waste of time. I, before I even get God, please. I want to rightly interpret but, but please make this a reality, right? What, what a waste of time it would be. You need to be responsive, uh, have a responsive heart, a willingness to appropriate the truths of the Scripture into our experience. Now, this is what it involves. Is there, you need to ask these questions, you know, of applying. When you're reading a passage, when you're coming across something, especially as we've seen before, if it pops out at you, or if it convicts you, or does both, Okay? Ask these questions. Is there an example for me to follow? Yes, I just saw that uh, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Wow, that's cool. Next chapter. Or, wait a second. He's my Lord, He's my Savior. I say that all the time. That's great Christianese 101. Is there an example there for me to follow? Right? It's simple. Is there a sin to avoid? Man, you, have you ever read 1st and 2nd Californians? I mean, Corinthians. I mean, it's, woo, that's a messed up church. I mean, they got all kinds of sin going on. Man, they're division. The guy was sleeping with his dad's wife and they're pick, playing favorites in the church and sin and gossip and backbiting and fighting and all kinds of immorality and marrying non-Christians and all that. Woo, next chapter. Or maybe you could say, oh, um, is there a sin, God, you're trying to point out to me? Something I should avoid, right? That, that's how it starts to apply. It's not like, hey, guys, you won't believe what the Corinthians were doing. It's like, thank you, God, for illuminating that to me. And I need to refrain from that. Would you please, by the power of your spirit, cause me not to do that? Thank you, thank you. That's application. That's the whole point. You could sit, guys, I've told you stories before. There's people who have graduated from seminary, doctoral level, and they're still not even saved. You could have all this biblical knowledge and amaze you with facts and figures. They just treat it like it's a historical book. I hope we don't do the same. Apply. Is there a promise to claim? Is there a prayer to repeat? Is there a command to obey? Is there a condition to meet? Is there a verse to memorize? Is there an error to mark? Is there a challenge to face? Is there a doctor in the house? Really? I had to say that, but that's there. Record your answers in a notebook. Top of the last page. Let's repeat that after me that's paid tom you're just too excited about this tonight we'll talk later all right zuck gives us uh these hints about application he says think of application in terms of relationships number one your relationship with who your god with god right okay or to satan that's kind of a weird one why would you do that who do you think's messing with you every single day right and it's real spiritual warfare is real uh, we, I think we just quoted on Sunday, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. you living for Jesus? You became a threat. Last thing he wants you, to, he wants you to be that dead fish floating downstream with the rest of culture. But the moment you're that faithful salmon going up against the current, which is resistance all the way, he's gonna to try to get you to go back the other direction and be that dead fish again, okay? Uh, uh, Or your relations to others, at home, at church, at work, or school, to the world, and to yourself. Recognize that application can be in the form of improved attitudes as well as improved actions. I love this one. Attitudinal responses may take longer to develop, right? We talked about this before. I remember Dr. Cowson in seminary. He would say, you know, when you first get saved as a Christian, I agree, he says, you you run across, you know, what we would call the seven deadly sins. You know, the big ones. Now, as a Christian, I don't drink, smoke, curse, or chew, or hang around those that do. I'm godly, right? Just seven big ones. Of course, you don't want to go out there and get sloppily drunk, and of course, you don't want to be involved in doing that. That's easy. He says, as you get older and, quote, unquote, mature in the Lord, he says, it switches from the seven deadly sins to the six subtle sins. Yeah, you've long gone... Don't have a problem anymore with drunkenness or that kind of immorality and things of that nature. Um, but how are you doing on bitterness? How are you doing on gossip, slander? How are you doing with your mouth? Those usually take a, you know, those are the ones. And that's why, those are attitudes. Attitudes, okay, is what he's talking about there. Uh, he says, make application personal. Use the words I, me, my, mine, not we, us. Or hour and certainly don't do sometimes I wish I had a camera facing your direction especially on Sundays you guys are funny you know what I'm saying half the, re- the jokes that I share are so stupid that sometimes I don't even think they're funny but I just like your reaction of just saying that was so dumb and it makes me laugh okay but then of course it makes a point there's a reason for that okay, uh, but no, seriously, you know, sometimes when, when God's word's going out, you guys are doing all kinds of cool stuff, I'm sorry to reveal your secrets here, okay, uh, but you know, when a convicting verse comes along, you know, I, I watch one of you guys go like this to, like your spouse, <laughs> it's like, what, come on, or, you, or, or that's too obvious, so you do the, the, the subtle evil eye, you know what I'm saying, and that's what he says with application. Hey, listen, don't do that. It's, did you realize it might have been intended for you? Not the person next to you, right? And that's what he says. Not me, my, or, you know, uh, I, me, my, but we, us, or not, not we, us, our, but me. My, is this my one? Me, okay? He says this. He says uh, application statements that remain in the we category are too general. Also, he says be specific. Now, this is your test of five weeks of study as we're getting ready to close. Praise God. The prophet Tom has spoken, so it came to pass today. And I better hurry up or a meteor is gonna smash into the building and I won't make it. But uh, uh, not to scare you. Uh, It says this, uh, also be specific. Here's your test. Listen to this. See if you can deduce. It's what, three sentences? What was going on with the author of this study? You know where I'm going. I picked this up right away. Listen to this. He says, rather than saying, I almost can't make it through. I I should love my wife more. Be specific by saying something like this. I will take my wife out to dinner this Friday evening. Or on my way home from work Thursday, I will buy my wife flowers. Or I will not criticize my wife anytime this week. Drum roll. And the proper interpretation is what was happening to the author that week when he wrote that. He was having problems with his wife. That would be my guess. Possibly. (laughs) Possibly. Isn't that funny? Oh, there's lots there. Now, here's what he says Write out, is your final two blanks there. Write out an application statement that is specific to you. Okay? Let the Word of God change your life first. Then, what do you do? You sit on it, waiting for your chance to get on that new game show. No, then you preach and teach the principles to others. Why is it important as we close and proper biblical interpretation? to apply it to you, number one, to apply it correctly and then apply it to you first before you share with other people. It's called being a hypocrite. And that's the last thing we need to do. I mean, because again, we could sit here, we saw if we get the wrong interpretation, it'll lead to sin, it'll lead to false teaching, you'll become a false teacher, you don't want an apostasy, right? But even if you get it right, if you don't apply it, you can say it, but you don't do it, it's another thing called hypocrisy. It's important that we get in here, rightly interpret, but the whole point in getting a proper biblical interpretation of the Bible is to apply it to your life so that when you share, you back it up with your life. And I'm telling you, it hits home a whole lot more when people see that you really mean and live what you say, even if it's the truth. You back it up. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar, okay? The, the, another commandment says you shall not steal, okay? Uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission... That's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart you wish they were dead and in God's eyes it's the same thing in principle folks that's only just a couple of the 10 commandments we didn't even go through all of them but I think you're starting to get the picture the Bible is correct we have all fallen short of the glory of God myself included and that we are separated from God as a result and so when our time comes we're not automatically going to heaven we are headed for judgment we are headed for hell Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor,